Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So we're going to uh, continue with a few themes, with a a few subjects that we've been uh, unpacking the last few weeks. Um, Certainly uh, the lack of civility, and that's putting it mildly, uh, in the political arena. Um, But I also want to talk about anti-Semitism because I think that it's a bigotry that often people don't treat on its own. And when it is addressed, they lump it in with all the other bigotries, uh, all the other isms or uh, forms of discrimination. And I just... I stand very much opposed to that, and I will reiterate why. Uh, But first, a quick message, and then we'll just get right on with it, as we always do. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back. Uh, again, my name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on Bostonian Rap, uh, WBCALP 102.9 FM, Boston. Now, I ended last week's show talking about anti-Semitism, and I think that what I'm going to do is really... I had planned on starting this show by talking about it as well, but I think that it would serve me well in the points that I'm trying to make by starting off the show by repeating, reiterating some points that I had made about the lack of civility, the overall toxicity of the current political climate, And then tying that in to anti-Semitism, because I I don't uh, think that they're unrelated. I really don't. And I first would like to say that I, many, 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 many years ago, when I started doing uh, radio, oh my gosh, um, 2008? And at first, I I will tell people that I played music. (laughs) <laughs> I did. I played music. I love music. Um, all different types of music. But at first it was a radio show. And there was American music, of course, but then there was also um, some foreign music as well. Uh, I played some music that had been big in France. And I phrase it like that because... Not all the music was from French artists, but it was music that was big in France. So it could have been, like, for instance, um, some music from Natasha Atlas, 
who uh, sings in French, Arabic, and English. Uh, she has Arabic origins. Um, I'm trying to think. Wh- I'm trying to remember where exactly because I've heard uh, different uh, different things. Um, but she's just great, and I've just really enjoyed her music. So I enjoy it in French, in Arabic, um, in the little bit that I've heard in English. And so she recorded some music. The music that she recorded in in French. Um, a lot of it did really well in France um, while I was in France. So, you know, I played that and uh, a lot of other music. I played some rye, um, so a type of music that you can hear uh, in Africa, the northern part of the continent, uh, so Algeria, um, maybe Morocco, Tunisia, but... Uh, the the artist that uh or whose music that I was playing, I think they were, if I'm remembering correctly, it's it's going back so many years, or it feels like another lifetime ago. At, at any rate, um, I think they were primarily from I- Algeria. So, yeah, Bostonian rap was actually uh, music, uh, but it you know, and I, and I guess I guess was there was there some rap. <laughs> Uh, there wasn't too much rap, actually. Um, but I also really wanted to do social and political commentary. And so, although I really loved doing the music show, I eventually switched over, started doing uh, the commentary. And I think that was before 2008 ended. And it's just... It's <laughs> it's been my kind of bird's eye view of things ever since, and I used to joke that I'm probably one of the only shows where you can hear mention of Britney Spears and George Bush in the same show, <laughs> and it's true. And I always argue that. If you want to provide political commentary, I think you have to have a sound understanding, a sound grasp of what's going on socially, because before long, what's happening socially is going to play out politically, necessarily. And so that was why I always thought it was critical to really kind of be this observer of both the social scene as well as the political scene. So the lack of civility, social, the social aspect. I think that, I do think that people are nastier than ever. Well, I don't even know. Hmm. Are they nastier than ever? I think maybe what it is is people feel more comfortable than ever being nasty. And, um, <coughs> and, and I think some of that is, I think some of that uh, stems, it's derivative from all the time that we spend online. And I think that a lot of people, you know, kind of got comfortable with the idea of, 
well, I can say whatever I want because I'm not really going to have to interact with this person in real life. I'm never going to have to look at this person, look this person in the eye. So <laughs> if I don't have to look this person in the eye, if I don't actually have to face this person, you know, does it matter what I say? I can I can be as nasty as I want. I can be as disrespectful, as rude as I want. And, you know, my, my attitude is no, <laughs> you can't. And... It's just, it, for me, it, it's always come down to education, homeschooling. And you either brought up to be respectful or you weren't. And I always, so I guess an extension of that, I always argue that there was no need for this concept of netiquette because what is netiquette? It's, it's how to conduct yourself appropriately online. Well, I mean, really, how you would interact with someone in the real world, why wouldn't you also interact with that person in the same fashion online, right? So I I never thought or saw the need to have kind of like a whole other set of rules or, or even have a discussion about, uh, I don't know, a subdivision of etiquette or however you want to refer to etiquette. Because, again, it, it all comes down to, to one thing, respect. And I'm of the belief that you either have it for other people, of course for yourself, but also for other people or you don't. So I think, I think you know, all the time that we spend online – and the erroneous belief that, well, as long as I don't have to look at the person in the face, uh, I look the person in the eye, I can say and do whatever I want. Um, you know, that, I think, that has driven a lot of people just to say really whatever they want. And I also think I don't, I don't blame Trump for the current mood, because I think that people have been, people have always been nasty. But the way that they're being nasty, that is something that we can maybe talk about being particular to this current time period. Having said that, again, I'm not going to blame Trump. I think that people will use Trump as an excuse but it's not, this isn't, you know, <laughs> this isn't on Trump. And and I love the people who really strongly, strongly supported Trump. A lot of them still do. And it was because Trump spoke truth to the power. He just said whatever he wanted. And... Most of those people, oh, most, but I've met a good number. Why don't I, I put it like that? Why don't I phrase it like that? I've met a good number that love Trump for that. And then they want to do their own version of what they think Trump is, right? So they're going to, they're going to like open up their mouths and, 
you know, let it rip and and say and say what they got to say and tell it like a TI is. And, you know, it just <laughs> whenever I encounter people like that, I have to be uh, I have to take a few deep breaths and, and, and be careful not to reach for a sick bag because I just I don't have time for it because those same very same people cannot take criticism. They cannot take when someone says something to them that they don't agree with. They cannot tolerate when someone does anything other than agree wholeheartedly, enthusiastically (laughs) with everything that they say. And so... My thing is this, if you want to speak truth to the power, you have to be prepared for people to <laughs> do in kind. You have to be prepared for people to then have something to say in reply. And so all these wonderful, fine people, snort, snort, <laughs> who, who want to be able to say whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, can't take any kind of criticism or can't tolerate any kind of dissent. So, you know, that that's not very interesting to me. And, you know, anyone who's listening to this who would try to argue that I'm one of those people, please bear in mind that I don't block people. And quite frankly, there are some people <laughs> that have deserved to be blocked. Um you know, but on Twitter, I don't, I don't block people for difference of opinion. I have not blocked people who have actually said some very offensive things to me. And I don't do it anywhere else on social media. If I do block someone, it's because... Well, in one instance, I, I I thought a person had crossed some boundaries and was really acting um, what I thought in a way that made me feel uncomfortable, um, potentially unsafe. <laughs> so I blocked that person. Um, there have been other in- in- instances where it's been like a, it's been a spam account. Um, if I know someone is just going through all of my social media and trying to, and, and, and there's like some kind of agenda or ulterior motive, I might be inclined to block. But really, by and large, it's not something I do. And it most certainly isn't for a difference of an opinion. It really isn't. Um, I, that's just, I, that's not how I operate. And I've, I've had people insult me and say really some pretty, um, really nasty, mean things. And I just, I have not blocked those people. Um, and that's, and that's what it is. And so I would say that I can then say what I want. And not whatever I want, 
But I think that because in speaking out and speaking my mind, because I realize that others can do the same and just very well might, I I think that really is all the more reason for people, even if they don't like what I have to say, to at least appreciate what I'm doing because I say, hey, I've, I've actually got the right to do this, freedom of speech. And again, I mean, that doesn't mean I can say absolutely anything, and we'll get to that in just a bit. But it, it, it certainly means that I can say a whole heck of a lot, and, and I appreciate that others can do that too. So I want my freedom, but I respect that others have their freedom as well. And I think that that's really the way to go. But I think a lot of these people who, who like Trump and who have taken the position that, well, I can say whatever I want, and that's that, but then they're completely outraged or offended or insulted when other people say, well, guess what? So can I. Um, so I'm not that kind of Trump supporter. I'm really not. Um, but like I said, it's, you know, back to the point at hand, it's, you know, people want to blame Trump for the current nastiness, uh, the current... Um, really just kind of base mentality. And I don't think that's fair. I really don't. I think that there are a confluence of factors that have led to today's toxic social climate. And some of it has been, you know, just how we spend our time, where we spend our time. And I think also as I just said, you know, misunderstanding what freedom means and, and, and misunderstanding how certain people use their freedom. And I want to say that I, I think that for me, part of that nastiness is, is also how different people in the political arena, how they support their preferred candidates. Um, they do so by disparaging the opponents. And I get, you know, to a certain extent that there's going to be some criticism. But when I'm hearing nothing but vitriol, which really is, that's going well beyond criticism. When I'm hearing vitriol, and at the same time, you know, against opponents of a particular candidate, and at the same time, I'm not hearing too much about the merits of the the preferred candidate, you know, that's, for me, that's not very interesting. And when I hear, oh, candidate X, it, it just has great plans and, and, and just an, a wonderful vision. Okay, tell me more. 
I mean, I'm not trying to be difficult, but I mean, people want to just say whatever. And that's that's another thing. And of course, I've talked about that in the last few shows. I mean, this is post-truth era where people, they just feel like they can say whatever they want and then they try to prove it after the fact. So they say it without knowing it's true or even worse, knowing that it absolutely isn't true. They try to prove it after the fact, prove it, you know, air quotes, and they'll do it more often than not by moving the goalpost. And so you say to yourself, my goodness, <laughs> what's going on here? And so what that really ends up amounting to is that there's really a lack of, of course, a lack of credibility, but there's also a lack of accountability. And I think that you know, obviously, if you're just throwing out, oh, well, my candidate is the best, my candidate has great vision, that's not the same as someone telling an outright lie, right? However, I think that, I think how we got to the point where people think it's okay to tell an outright lie <laughs> And it's it's really it's 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 bonkers, man. Um, I think we started off by allowing people to push their opinions as fact. Now, if you can back up your opinion with examples, okay, you know, then it's not just you know. Well, I think so. You know, there, there's a little there's something to it. And then you can agree or disagree, but there's something there. There's a there there. But just to say, well, my candidate has great vision. Come on, you know, say, you know, elaborate, expound upon that. So I have, of course, you know, there's a busy, busy uh, election season. Um, There are candidates whom I support. Um, what I will say is that I want everyone to get out and vote. <laughs> it's so important. And I used to actually, let me let me kind of add to that. Let me qualify that because I used to urge people to get out and vote. What I'm going to say now is people need to get out and vote, but they need to be informed. They really do. Um, I'm going to take a little detour here, a little... Um, you know, kind of get off uh, the subject that I was, you know, starting to unpack or unpacking, that I was unpacking, rather. Um, it's it's important. And so what does that mean, you know, going to the polls informed, really looking at candidates' records, if they have them, uh, looking at candidates' experiences, experience, and and really just kind of sitting down and and putting and, and putting some thought into it, being very thoughtful about it, putting some thought into it and being thoughtful about it. I mean, I'm not suggesting <laughs> going on a retreat somewhere and where there's no electronics and just spending a day or two like you know meditating and trying to come up with the meaning of life and then. 
uh, relating that to, uh, you know, political choice. <laughs> uh, but what what I'm saying is, please vote. It's so important. But that's only half of it. And it's, it, you know, people, I think, because there are so few people who vote, and certainly so few people who do it consistently and regularly, that, you know, we have a lot of people, I think, that want to pat themselves on the back just because they vote. Even if they don't do it, you know, as someone who's particularly well-informed, they're like, well, I vote. But that that that's only half of it. And, and I, you know, I really have to stress this. I think that voting is, it's a responsibility to, to again, not only do it, but do it armed with information, armed with facts. And I think that's really important because when you wake up and you're walking down the street and you nearly trip because there's a pothole or you're trying to get your unemployment and you don't know where to turn, or you get on the bus or the train and the infrastructure is crumbling around you, sometimes literally, and you think, my goodness, we needed a whole lot of money and this is all we got. Or we have money, once in a lifetime amount of money, which is one of the only positive things about this pandemic is that we do have an unprecedented amount of cash, like just there. And you have, <laughs> you have people like the mayor, who in my opinion just doesn't seem to think she has to listen to people. But again, this is all, it's all, well, did you vote? And who did you vote for? You know, I'm not going to vote for someone. I mean, obviously, if someone's obnoxious, even if I agree with that person, I, I can't I can't vote for, for that person. So obviously, no one's saying that, you know, the person can be, forgive me, a schmuck. <laughs> uh, and then that's okay, as long as the person has a great platform and has a wonderful experience, relevant experience. Uh, I think likability definitely is uh, important. But there's got to be substance. I'm going to date myself. When I was growing up, um, Wendy's had the commercial, um, you know, where's the beef? Where's the beef? I don't think there's anyone back there. And then there was one Wendy's commercial was Clara Pella, and she became overnight like this. It was an older woman. And, you know, where's the beef? You know, the Wendy's, the Wendy's woman. And she became this, this you know, she became, you know, a pop you know, a fixture in pop culture. You know, she became this like overnight celebrity. And there was one, one of those uh, ads that she did for Wendy's. And I remember she was with like maybe two or three of her friends. So like, I'm totally dating myself here and they were like oh that's a big bun that's a big fluffy bun and then they you know took the top bun off and there was this like tiny tiny little patty 
there. And so that's <laughs> that's how that's you know, you know, where's the beef? There's got to be substance, right? So a person can't just be likable, whether it's in general or just <laughs> while he or she's campaigning, because you have some people who do do that. They, you know, they're like, well, you know, I'm not really a nice person, but I'm going to be a nice person just to get votes. And then once I get elected, I can then do whatever I want. <laughs> there are people like that. Um, but, the, you know, it, it's it's important to to really ask yourself questions and ask candidates questions because of all those things that I mentioned. Again, you know, when you're going to just walk down the street, maybe pick up something and you nearly trip over a pothole or, you know, the crumbling infrastructure of the tea or you need help. It could be, you know, unemployment. It could be something else. But you, you need your elected officials. Well, then you've got to know, or you want to feel comfortable in picking up the phone or at least feeling, yeah, feeling comfortable that if you pick up the phone and call um, elected official X, elected official Y, that these people are going to, he or she is going to be able to assist you in, in an, you know, in an appropriate time frame so that you're not adversely impacted by whatever it is, whatever issue it, that it is that needs to be addressed, right? So please vote. <laughs> please vote. And I think that also, I'll say this um, before I get back to uh, the first big issue at hand, um, the lack of civility in, in politics and in the, in the current uh, political arena. When you are well-informed, then elected officials, uh, political candidates, they can't get away with saying, oh, here and this person endorsed me, and that person endorsed me. and th-. No. It, the only endorsements that matter are the ones that come from the people. And don't get me wrong. It's, I, shouldn't, I, I shouldn't put it like that because it's not nothing— to get endorsements, whether it's from unions, other elected officials, well-known community leaders, unions. But what a lot of people don't understand is often there's a game or games that have to be played in order to get those endorsements. So I think that ultimately the endorsement that matters the most is is that from the people. That's that's the endorsement you want to get uh, if you're a political candidate. And, you know, as for the people, just go in to vote with, with knowledge so that, you know, if you do hear about candidate X who has his who has received all these endorsements, you're not gonna let that inform you. You're not gonna say, "Well, gee, the candidate must be good." 
so I don't really have to do my homework. No, don't be lazy. You have a responsibility. Be well-informed. And yes, go vote. So back (laughs) to this idea about civility, this idea about um, people just saying whatever they want. And I said that it had started off with people just kind of throwing out statements and not really, you know, backing them up. And now we're just, we're at a point where people just, they don't even, it's not a matter anymore. We're long past where people make, they they present opinions as facts. We now have people who are just telling outright untruths. People are saying things that they know are not true. And you say to yourself, are you are you kidding me? Like are you are you out of your mind? Like like and you know, and I've shared a few examples and I, you know on this show. And I don't care if the person has a D after his or her name or an R. If you say something that's not true, like if you tell an outright lie, I'm gonna say something. Because that's horribly irresponsible. If you're running for office and you can't be honest, you're going to tell outright lies and then you expect to get away with it by, as I I was saying earlier, proving it after the fact and moving, just moving around the goalpost. That's disgusting. You know, and I've already talked about you know, different people who, who've done that. And, and I just, there's, I'm sorry, but those people, they're not fit for, to hold public office. You, you have to be able to inspire confidence in people. Uh, you know, you, you, have to, you have to be trustworthy, at least appear to be trustworthy. So you have all that. You have people who now feel like they can insult you. And that's okay. And there always seems to be a justification. There always seems to be an excuse. And there really isn't. There's no excuse for insulting people. There's really not. And we're actually going to talk more about this because I think this, like, insulting people, these ad hominem attacks, they're not new. The way people are doing it I think it's become particularly nasty. But we're going to talk more about that in just a few. We're going to go for a quick break, and we'll be right back. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance, reminding you that when you adopt a shelter pet, you discover all the things that make them unique. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. 
That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Yeah, hey, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Are you wondering if your relationship is safe or if you have gone too far? Is your partner ever afraid of you? Are you worried a friend is hurting their partner but don't know what to do? The 10 to 10 helpline can help. We are here every day, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. We are confidential and anonymous and offer help to adults and teens across Massachusetts. Reach us at 877-898-3411 or you can visit us on Instagram or Facebook at helpline1010.org. Grassroots Baseball's mission is to promote and celebrate the amateur game around the globe with a focus on growing interest and participation at the youngest level. The overarching goal of Grassroots Baseball is to work to give back by providing inspiration, instruction, and equipment to help ensure more children have the opportunity to learn, play, and enjoy the game. To learn more about Grassroots Baseball, you can visit www.grassrootsbaseball.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCALP. 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So before we went to break, I started talking about how vile <laughs> some people can be. So ad hominem attacks. Hmm. So what has been happening of late is that now people have taken to making very pers like like particularly personal remarks so people will when they attack someone it's no longer you're stupid or you're ugly or you you know which obviously are not very nice things to say now don't don't get me wrong i'm not expecting you know, us to live like it's a little house on the prairie. But, I mean, it's it's not really nice to be calling people stupid. And uh, I'll be honest with you, if I'm, if ever I'm in a an exchange with someone and I just can no longer defend my point, if it comes, if it, if it were ever to come to the point where 
I can't do anything but insult, then I would know that person. I would know that it would be time for me just to kind of excuse myself because it's, <laughs> it's, you don't even have, it's just like you don't have to tell the truth anymore. Or at least that's what some people would have us all, the rest of us, to believe. Um, there's this idea that, well, we don't have to be able, we don't have to really defend ourselves. We don't have to uh, defend our behavior, uh, however bad it is. Um, our positions, we can just say and do whatever we want. If someone questions us, if someone has an opposing view, we don't even have to engage in a fashion that's even remotely intelligent. We can just be insulting. And so, as I started to say, we're no longer just saying, well, that person's stupid or that person's unattractive. We're making particularly malicious comments. So now people are talking about people's skin color, people's ethnicity, people's faith. And the idea is to really throw the object of that vitriol off kilter so that then whatever exchange transpires after the fact, you know, afterwards, is one that is not, it's it's completely divorced from any kind of... Um, reasoning or logic it's just it's just uh it's it's a verbal if i can phrase it like this a verbal slugfest right <clears throat> that's all it is and it's who can land the most blows below the belt and it, it's just such a profoundly nasty way to operate and 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 really just be i mean the people that I know who do that are such profoundly ugly people. And it's just, it's, it, it really, it, it disgusts me. It disgusts me because if, again, if you can't argue your point or if you don't have anything to argue, then it might be time to shut your face and sit down. But to talk about someone's race, someone's faith, someone's ethnicity, uh, anything that you think, you know, someone's sexual orientation, anything that you think that might be a sore point or a, a vulnerable point, that's really disgusting. Really, that that's, that's repugnant. And so we have that. <clears throat> and so in addition to all the rest of the things that I talked about that make the political arena so unsavory right now. Um, you have this. And so that takes me into anti-Semitism because you have people, uh, one of whom is Diana Ploss. And I've talked about her and I will be talking about her a lot more. And and I'll, let me just throw this out. What... Diane, one thing that Diana does and a lot of other people who are not really interested in, in engaging in intellectual honesty is they, they want to say whatever they want to say. Um, 
And not only do they not expect any pushback, but if you ask a pointed question that gets right to the heart of the matter, they'll just tune you out. They'll ignore you. And so there won't be any kind of dialogue. So I don't know what's worse, refusing to interact or interacting and being just so nasty. I mean, either or, it's just, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a sad time for the United States because there seems to be so many people who engage in this type of behavior and they are pop. <laughs> They are populating the political arena. So, yeah, Diana Ploss, um, she, again, she. I find her, I've never been a fan. Uh, she used to do a radio show in New Hampshire, and she lost the show because... And this made this made actually international headlines. Uh, there was one British newspaper, I think the Daily Mail. I think the Daily Mail did an article on it. Um, and just as a reminder, uh, or for those who might not know, Diana Plus did a show. She had been doing it for a while in New Hampshire, and she came across some people who were speaking Spanish. Uh, I believe they were at work. They were talking amongst themselves. Uh, and then there was a supervisor who might not, it might not have been his native language, but he was speaking to the workers who did speak Spanish as a first language. Uh, he was speaking to them in Spanish. I think that's, um, I think those were the specifics. Um but what Diana did is she, I mean, it was, I, I mean, I'm just, I, I can speculate, but I, I don't know what drove her to do this. She, she felt the need to verbally accost uh, this group and, uh, you know, basically her, her, her attack, the gist of it, the crux of it was, that these people needed to speak English. Quite frankly, it was none of her darn business. It was none of her darn business. If any of these people were waiting on her, accommodating her, and to get what she needed, it was a lengthy process, then she could have, you know, maybe had a word with a supervisor. You know, along the lines of, you know, I'm paying money here and I want a service and I expect all the employees to be well-trained and skilled. And I don't think that that's unreasonable. And, you know, for the people who might want to say, well, Rachel, how could you say that? Well, you know, one of my positions has long been that I think that if you want to live and work in a country— you need to speak the language of that country. I think that's very important. And I think that it's important to have those expectations 
um, not only for people who are non-natives who who settle here and make a life for themselves, but I think it's also important for non-natives who settle here and make a life for themselves. It's important for them to have that expectation for themselves because not speaking a language in a you know of a country in which you're actually living, you're limiting yourself. And, you know, facilitating, enabling people to be able to function, albeit very limited, in a very limited capacity, uh, but enabling them to function without having some measure of fluency in the language, that's not good. That's not good at all. And, you know, I'll, I'll remind people that I... For 13 wonderful years, I taught non-native English speakers to speak English, and I prepared students to go to college. I, you know, some students were here just to learn more about the culture. I mean, I had one student, quite frankly, (laughs) his English was better than most Americans (laughs) uh, that you might want to run across, but, you know, he... He just, he wanted to learn more about the culture. He already knew a lot, to be honest. I mean, he was just, he was really a very well-educated, very smart um, young man. But, you know, he just, he wanted just to spend time in America. And he wanted to, you know, maybe learn a little bit more about the culture. Um, There were, you know, other people who uh, helped prepare for professional exams. There were people that, you know, I helped facilitate a new life for for them, uh, you know, because they were coming here and, you know, they've gone on to make a a life for themselves here. I have students who have been here now for 12 years. And it's, you know, it's beautiful to see you know, they've gotten, they've gone and, you know, have furthered their education, their members, their vibrant members of, of community, different communities, you know, they're, they're doing a whole, a whole lot. And it, it's just, I, I'm, you know, a proud mama. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see. And then, of course, uh, you know, I say, of course, but, you know, not everyone might be familiar uh, with the fact that I actually spent nearly a decade of my life as a foreigner, and more than half of that time I was in a country where the written and spoken language is not English. So I, I think it's important for people to be able to to speak the language uh, well enough to be able to do the job uh, with with a certain amount of ease. So I could see if Diana, you know, had been in that situation, but she wasn't. I mean, these people were minding their business. Apparently, I'm presumably, I'm assuming that, you know, these particular employees, presumably they did their job well. And in this particular instance, them, you know, not not speaking English fluently or not always communicating in English didn't pose an issue. Now, again, 
I I have my position. I stated it at length. But, you know, in this instance, Diana wasn't affected. And she was just, you know, maybe she'd been having a bad day. Maybe she'd been having a bad week. Maybe she'd been having a bad month. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it was just, it was nasty and it was unnecessary. And it was... Um, it was recorded. It was, you know, there were witnesses, and it was, it made national, even international news. So she lost her show there, but you know, with Facebook, um, you know, you can do Facebook lives now, and people do. Uh, the, you know, there are other platforms out there. So Diana was just fine. Um, but over time, Diana has become more comfortable being around people who are extreme, who hold views that are wholly unpalatable and unconscionable. And she herself has started to, or she has embraced them. And so, you know, I'm talking about uh, anti-Semitism. In particular, she has taken to uh, Nazism. And if you listen to, you know, she's embraced uh, Nazi ideas, um, concepts. If you listen to her show, which I actually have, and I think it is important to listen to what she's saying because a lot of people, they think that if someone says something that they don't agree with, that you know, I'm not going to listen. Now, obviously, this is this is goes way way beyond that, and it's not really, it's not at all actually an in, obviously it's not an instance of well, I don't agree with her. No, I mean she's she's saying things that are morally and intellectually repugnant, very much so. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that in general, this instance very much to one side. I listen to people even if I don't agree with them. Um, here, I actually think what Diana's doing poses a threat to people. Um, it's, it's really, I mean, she, I'm not throwing around the terms, you know, white supremacy, Nazi. She actually, you know, she has, she often, pretty much all her shows talk about Jewish people. Um, she talks about, you know, oh, well, my show today, July, and she spells July, J-E-W hyphen L-I-E. Uh, she talks about, you know, basically the Jews are responsible for this and they're responsible for that. And and it's, you know, making all these links to to ideas or events that... A lot of people are upset about. And the idea is to create and encourage engender hostility toward my people. And it's, I think that there is an element with Diana, which I find absolutely abhorrent, that she's saying this to get a rise out of people and seeing how far she can go. 
And that that is morally unacceptable. And we're going to talk about that more. And we will pick up with this very point in the next show. But I want to leave you with that. And I want people to start asking themselves, well, is there a limit to how far we can go with all of this? And I say absolutely, because freedom of speech is not absolute. Having said that, um, I thank you all for listening. Having said all of that, and I look forward to hanging out with you next week. Bye-bye for now. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.